here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to the fifth edition of the Brit Rest Roundtable. Um, this edition is going to be a bumper progress edition. Um, as previously, we had missed a couple of uh, chances to talk about the progress shows, what with all the huge Rev Pro shows that were going on, and also because Rev Pro doesn't really seem to be putting anything out digital content-wise. Um, their Rev Pro TV show has stopped with no real. Uh, word as to why, and uh, they haven't put out anything out on the VOD despite having a load in the can and promising that they they are coming out soon, but that was a couple of months ago they said that, so who knows, who knows. Um, but, as I said, uh, we're going to make up for that by catching up on all the uh, progress shows we haven't had a chance to talk about, and to do so, um, sadly, Arn couldn't make it for this one, he's got a book deadline, but we have brought in a great replacement uh, with self-proclaimed progress historian, Callum Leslie. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself, because you can probably do a better job than I can. Well, I mean, self-proclaimed, for a start, makes me sound like an arrogant asshole, <laughs> but uh, I feel I feel not self-proclaimed at this point, because the Jim, John, and Glenn will openly say that I've remembered things about, I know things about progress that they've long forgotten. Um, yeah, I'm Callum Leslie. I'm uh, a progress fan since day one, officially the original progress fan, uh, I was the third person in the world to know that progress was going to exist. Um, I met Jim Smallman at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2011, and uh, he told me he was starting a wrestling company. And I was like, "Yeah, sure you are. Cool. I'm sure that'll in go London. well." Yeah, well, I, did, I didn't know anything worked. about London. It was just like I'm starting my own company, and I'm touring with McFoley, and I'm like, "Yeah, okay, cool." Uh, and we became friends, and I followed the company. Obviously, uh, the next March, they ran Chapter One. I bought the DVDs. I first went down for chapter three and then from there I was kind of hooked and I've been to, I mean, I've still, I, I haven't been to any chapters since chapter 20. Um, I still think I've been to more chapters than not, which when you live in Scotland is quite a feat. Um, yeah, so I'm a fan. I'm a historian of progress. I update the Wikipedia page and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm known for covering facts and stuff. Some of the things the commentators here you might hear are, my facts, especially one that Glenn butchered at chapter 20, which I've never forgiven him for. Um, I wouldn't say I'm uh, a part of Progress or like a Progress employee. I'm kind of like an associate of Progress. Uh, 
I've done interviews. I did this, this stuff with Sticks and RJ Singh before chapter 16. I did uh, way back, I did the interviews for the chapter 10 DVD. Uh, that was my voice that you can hear in those interviews. And coming up in December, I'm going to be doing the commentary for the Manchester show with RJ. So, yeah, I do all sorts of bits and pieces for Progress, but fundamentally, I'm just a, a fan of Pro. And I run the, the Progress fan Facebook group as well with an iron fist sometimes. It's my group, damn it. I can do what I like. Um, but yeah, I'm so, I, I sort of do a bit of everything. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much as close as you can be with Progress without actually being a member of management. It's just, I mean, yeah, there is, yeah, just about. And and without being married to one of management. Hmm. Hmm. Although, still hope. Well, no, sadly, they're all taken now. That's the shame. Mm. Well, what can you do? Um, so, yeah, uh, let's get right to it. Oh, I forgot to mention, of course, Ollie is with me as usual. <laughs> Hi, I am also here. Yeah, but... <laughs> When when we've got Callum, who needs Ollie? We're, we're just, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm I'm pale in comparison to Callum's list Although, of accomplishments. You, you did manage to uh, <laughs> bring the live perspective to to these shows. Um, does help that you're in the same country. Um, so uh, yeah, that that's why you're on. That's why you're on. That's why we're having you. Yeah. So um, let's launch straight into it. Um, we. We're going to talk about not the most recent chapter first, but the one before that, because we never got a chance to to really um, talk about it after it occurred. We did a preview on, I think, the third edition of the podcast, but don't quote me on that. Uh, so this is chapter 21, which was um, uh, took place 6th of September, I think. That sounds about right. Um, yeah, that's right. Which was, uh, you know, we don't like to use the sit-down gun, which is still a reference I don't really get, but um, whatever. Uh, and the the first match of the night was the London Riots versus the Origin. Uh, what do you guys think of this match? I mean, this was, uh, it was more of a storyline match than anything else, and it was obviously uh, the kickoff of a storyline which we see coming through 22 uh, and possibly into 23 and beyond. Um, about the the growth of the origin and the London Riots obviously growing their crew in response. Um, I'm a big Nathan Cruz fan. I've always been a big Nathan Cruz fan. Um, I always feel like he's kind of underrated when people talk about uh the best workers in progress, just because he was he was the cha- the first champion, so people kind of assume he's in that conversation. But obviously, he was away for a long time as well. Um, I love the new Legaro character. I think Legaro's had more character development in progress than in the, almost the entire rest of his career. Um, from the babyface to the kind of brooding tweener when he was champion to back to babyface and now uh, in this really kind of cocky, arrogant heel, um, which is always difficult to pull off when you have a mask. But he is he is a very talented performer and, and pulls it off very well. Um, I mean, I thought this match was very well worked and kind of a nice prelude to the the eight man at, at 22 and obviously introduced zach gibson into the storyline in a more a more prominent role for zach gibson which i'm a fan of um i'm a, I'm a big zach gibson fan i know that that uh, everyone in progress is a big zach gibson fan no matter how yeah. much they might uh jeer him he's a, an excellent worker was his addition to the the roster back at chapter 12 really helped toilet that mid card for me mm. yeah definitely agree um me personally, that this match, as you said, did lead to um, Gibson joining the Origin. I was kind of 
although he fits thematically um, in terms of he was there very early on, was it? He was in that three yeah, way. Yeah, he was, was, he was on the first one? show, yeah. Yeah, chapter one. I couldn't remember if that was one or two. I knew it was very early. Um, a part of the, the Scarlo scholarship match right at the beginning. We don't uh, talk about the Scarlo scholarship. <laughs> Probably features on the, the first few shows and then never mentioned again. First um, three shows and was ditched in it was ditched in favor of the natural progression series, which made a lot more sense for uh, progress. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that early installment weirdness on the first couple of progress shows, like certain wrestlers appearing who will never appear again. Uh, Lion Kid is my least favorite wrestler in the world, by the way. If you've ever heard me, <laughs> if you've ever heard me talk about Lion Kid, you know how much yes. I, I despise Lion Kid. <laughs> I, I was referring to Lion Kid. But... Well, he Closest Kid gets time. a bad rap, but Lion Kid's, yeah, he, he can go to hell. Uh, <laughs> um, Burial. Yeah, so Gibson joining the Origin obviously fits in terms of he was there from the very beginning, but I, at least at first I wasn't really feeling it, because Gibson was really, he, he, he was really over on his own. And he seemed to have a direction, and it just didn't feel necessary, um, him joining into this group. Uh, you know, he had an, a great thing going on his own, and um, it, my initial reaction wasn't really a positive one. The same way, like, as we'll, we'll talk about later in Chapter 2, when Dave Mastiff joined it, him joining the Origin really gave him some direction. It was definitely a positive for him, but um, uh, I don't know. Uh, were you guys... Um, you guys into Gibson joining the Origin? Yeah, I'm. Um, I was a little bit worried that um, his gimmick is going to sort of get swallowed up by the wider Origin gimmick. It seems to be going okay so far. After these two chapters, they're letting him go out and do his own mic work. Um, so it seems like the Origin is being built quite well, just around not uh, as a big unit and as individual characters. They're all getting a small chance to shine, Cruz is obviously great on the mic, but Gibson is getting that mic time too, Laguerre is getting the development, so they seem to be doing everything uh, right so far and alleviating some of my fears Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of it I think you're right that Gibson was over, but I think there is certainly uh, there's a ceiling on how far you can ride uh, anti-Liverpool football sentiment, right? uh, And I I like this, it feels to me like he's taken a step forward, and gone into potentially having more of a future in progress and, and more potential for growth um i like that the the origin seems to be shaping up a little bit like the uh, 2r core from uh, 2011 smackdown if you're if, if you remember uh from the from the end of 2010 beginning of 2011 where uh there there it's not a, a faction with a leader like nathan cruz would be the obvious leader of course he was the the leader of the faceless um, but the faction that has turned into appears to be a fairly even faction in that, as you say, Gibson was taking the lead on uh, recruiting Mastiff and doing his own mic work at uh, Chapter 22, and Cruz is doing a lot of mic work. Mastiff is obviously good on the mic as well. Um, and I feel like we there are they are having joint storylines at the moment. I feel like there will be a point where they do kind of split off and have their own storylines. And obviously Legero was kind of the driving force of the, the feud with the riots, right? Because he was the one who had the the attack on James Davis at download that led into that. So he was the driving force of that and the others were just kind of coming with him as part of the group. Um, and at some point I feel like they will, because they are all s- such talented singles performers, 
kind of branch off in different directions potentially or people will go off and do their own storylines while still being part of the group uh just as kind of an overarching theme for their characters um and that potential for flexibility because they're so strong is what for me makes it such a good group yeah i'm always a fan of when a faction um it doesn't being a part of a faction doesn't mean you just exist in that faction's universe uh, when, when you can have guys doing their own thing but still being affiliated with, you know, their, their group members. It, I, always, I always prefer that to, say, the way the Nexus was handled, where the one leader is having a feud and everyone else is just kind of acting as a run-in um, when, when needed uh, and not really doing much for themselves. So... After a, a kind of shaky start for the for the origin, um, obviously the, the faceless didn't quite. It uh, it definitely didn't feel like it, it went over the way that it was intended. Uh, maybe it went over better live. I'm I'm not sure, but uh, on video it never never really had the impact that they the commentary was trying to put it over that it did. Um, but uh, the the origin, you know, they. They transitioned from the faceless and then, you know, straight away lost the, the tag titles, which didn't exactly have them uh, on a great foot to start with. But um, since since kind of um, these last two chapters, even though originally I wasn't too into Gibson getting um, made a part of the, the stable, um, the, the four guys that are currently in there now and the dynamic seems to be working. Obviously, it's early days, but um, I'm, I'm definitely more interested now than I was when they were just the tag team, which is obviously a plus. Mm, they've evolved it really well from that kind of dead-end faceless gimmick, which it was a good concept, but it didn't really work either live or on video. Um, and now the origin is something completely different you couldn't tell that it came from that faceless and um they've made it its own thing and i think they've done a good job so far like you say it's early days but i think they're gonna really anchor the heel side for roster in 2016 for progress yeah i think i think that's the key right is that it is to it has to create and i think they do make each other stronger in that they're already all potentially strong heels but it does make them all stronger to have that heel side and then uh as i say permeating through the cards going into 2016 these guys will probably be in a lot of different places and it will, as you say, anchor the, the heel side because, I mean, it's, it's uh, obviously we're going to talk about 21, which is really the the culmination of the Jimmy Havoc feud, right? But when we're talking about chapter 22, it's uh, we live in a Havocless world now and it's a very different progress. So we are going to see a lot of changes and I think that's going to be one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, moving on to the second match of the night, um, that was Jack Gallagher. I think this was his second match in progress. Uh, it's his third because yep. he had the match against Haskins at the Super Strong Style Sixteen, and then the five way the next day. Oh right, yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. his second single match. Um, second single match. Second chapter. Now, that's clearly what I meant. Um, yeah. Going up against uh, Pastor William Eva. Um, yeah, this was. A match that I enjoyed, and but but perhaps more more prominent than the match itself was Gallagher's gimmick change and the way he was instantly over um, just from making his entrance. I think that's more of a general thing in 
in the Gallagher, I, th- I think, came in at chapter uh, chapter 19, just at the end of that gimmick, and then after that point began using a different gimmick, um, which has just transitioned over to progress. Um, yeah, I think this is a, a much better spot for him if he's going to be a regular fixture, which I'm, I, I believe he probably will be. Uh, we'll see him pop up every so often. Um, and yeah, he definitely got over here against the pastor. This was, uh, you know, the crowd doing their typical thing of, of coming up with witty chants for, for both guys. But once they got into it, it was very well worked. Uh, and un- unfortunately, the pastor didn't win, which uh, is was interesting going into his natural progression series match. And then uh, I believe lost again today at Endeavor. So it's an interesting line to follow with Pastor William Ever of how he's uh, a little bit erratic in his form. Yeah, but they, a good win for Jack Gallagher that set him up for uh, sort of bigger things at the next show, I guess. Yeah, it, it kind of seemed like they were um, giving Eva a sort of win streak. Um, I haven't got the, the matches in front of me, but if, if I'm remembering correctly, he, he did have a, a yeah, couple of wins was, in a row. This was his first loss at a chapter show. This is well, his first no, loss at a chapter show, first... so Natural it was a bit surprising. He lost in his yeah, so, yeah, he lost in the three-way at chapter Oh yeah, yeah. But then beat Sticks at fifteen. Uh, had the tag loss with Mambo at eighteen, but then one beat Noam at twenty. So he's had uh, in in one on one competition. This was his first loss in three, um, and obviously he's now three and one with twenty two spoilers. Um, but yeah, he has had a couple of other losses as well. So he's he's getting there. Uh, I'm I'm very much a fan of Eva. I think he he he's definitely someone who out out of the the projo has has fits easily um, talent wise onto the, the the main roster. He he comes out and it you maybe the first time you're seeing him you're thinking oh he's just a guy just a gimmick, but uh, when he gets in the ring he's he's really backed it up and um, this this was a a great little undercard match. Um, you know, they didn't go out there and have like a, an amazing match, but um, for the they didn't have a, a huge amount of time, but they they made the most of it, and this was a, a fun fun match. Um, although, as you said, it was was perhaps strange to see Gallagher win. Um, you you might have thought you you'd have wanted to keep Eva's momentum going, um, as, but to see him uh, beat. Higher profile guys like Sticks and um, and Noam Dar, and then um, and then lose to someone like to like Gallagher, who's um, only just like starting in progress and starting from the bottom was perhaps a little strange. But as you said, if if they they do have plans for Gallagher going forward, which it seems they do have, then um, understandable, I guess. Yeah, they wanted to give Gallagher a strong start, I guess, especially in the new gimmick. Um, what did you guys think of um, the extraordinary gimmick? Was it was it your up your alley or a bit too oddball? I mean, I, I, if you like the pastor, I think you can't call anything too oddball, to be honest. But uh, no, I, I like it. I think it connects well. It, it gets him over instantly, which is kind of the point, right? That's what you need from a gimmick is uh, a gimmick that's going to get you over the minute people see you. And he has the style to back it up, so yeah, I'm 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 a big fan. I wasn't a huge fan of um, Gallagher's debut uh, against Haskins. Um, really? Perhaps, perhaps he was. Yeah, w- was that match well liked? 
Um, I was a big, I was a big fan of that. Match. No, I, I wasn't up, up on it too much. I much prefer the gimmick rather than just the straight laced shooter kind of style that he had before. I thought that match was. Uh, I mean, on a, on a show with so many matches, you had to have a lot of different styles, and that was. Uh, it was certainly a unique style, and I think it was maybe a style that some people wouldn't wouldn't enjoy. But I I thought it was excellent and and well, and very well worked for the style it was. Yeah, I might be on an island for that, man. But um, I I thought the gimmick definitely um it helped people get into his matches more. Um, the from what I remember, the crowd wasn't for a progress crowd wasn't particularly hot for his debut against Haskins. But uh, here, obviously, as we mentioned, they he clicks straight away and almost instantly he's one of the more over guys on the roster. And uh, I think I think a lot of the hardcores, a lot of the hardcores were uh, very excited for his debut in Progress. Um, people like Ben and Gadge who travel to a lot of wrestling shows and see a lot of different guys. Whenever it was discussed, you know, who are the guys that you'd like to see in Progress? Jack Gallagher was pretty high on that list. Uh, so there were a lot of people who were looking forward to seeing how his style fit and how he personally fit. Um, obviously, probably not among the the mass progress audience, but among the the very hardcore fans, he was one of the people that people really wanted to see come into the company. So uh, I think it was kind of a no brainer, but also a little bit of fan demand, perhaps. I think the gimmick is best for him at this point in his progress run. It will help him get over. He he's not going to be too high up on the card, so it's good to have a little bit of fun early on. Some something a bit different than the usual fare to get people into the show. If they decide to push him any further, they can strip down the gimmick a little bit. You know, a bit like um, Bailey in NXT. You know, when she was lower down, she was like uh, Shikara style goofy, and then she they turned her a bit more serious, still retaining the yeah. gimmick. That they could do that with Gallagher. Mm-hmm. He's definitely got a ceiling, um, as you, as you kind of alluded to, but um, it, it's it's definitely something that that's adding to to the the undercards of progress, which haven't always been the strongest. Um, traditionally, they've had very strong main events and you know semi mains. You know the second half of the card is generally pretty strong, but uh, there there have been times throughout its history where the the bottom section of the the cards have been a bit lacking, and um, Gallagher's in this incarnation is definitely a a, a good addition to that. Right, so moving on to the, the third match. Uh, this was Eddie Dennis versus Zach Gibson, and this was kind of confirming uh, Gibson joining the Origin, as uh, the Origin went to help um, Gibson with, with the fork on Eddie Dennis to give him the win. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of this match. Um, the combination of it being, you know, maybe more of an angle than than a straight up match to get Gibson into the origin with loads of interference, and Eddie kind of being just there, he's floating. He didn't really, he doesn't have much purpose going into that match. Um, he's kind of been that way for quite a long time ever since Andrews left. Um, maybe. Well, now that uh, now that Mark Andrews is back, maybe Eddie Dennis can get rejuvenated a bit because I saw him at a show, uh, Fight Club Pro, two weeks ago, and 
with uh, Andrews in the tag team match against the Hunter Brothers, um, Dennis just looked a thousand times better than singles Dennis. I I think he is a tag guy, and he feels a lot more confident, and is just so much more engaging when he has Mark Andrews to work off. I think that is just his lot. He's not really a singles wrestler, and this Gibson-Dennis match really didn't go anywhere. I think you're me. right that the fact that Eddie isn't really doing anything at the moment storyline-wise does hurt it. Um, obviously, he, I mean, he beat Mark at Chapter 17 back in, what was that, January? Um, uh, and hasn't right. really... But then he went into the, the tag rematch with the Faceless, um, which obviously didn't pan out, and then uh, lost in Super Strong Style 16. Did win the five-way, and then did get the... Get, did get a pinfall in the Thunderbrass. I think he pinned Nathan Cruz. Yeah. So it's not like he hasn't done anything to kind of keep his status a little bit, but he, you're right that he doesn't have a storyline. And I think he's one of those guys who is just kind of out there at the moment, sort of in the same way that, that I would argue that maybe Dave Mastiff was until uh, Chapter 22, in that he was still very much uh, a fan favorite or still, you know, a guy that people would like to see on the card. At the end of the day, there's only so many spots on the card, and even less spots in the, you know, the top storylines. And Eddie's kind of uh, the odd man out in a lot of ways. I don't necessarily think he isn't cut out to be a singles wrestler. I think he can be. I mean, a lot of people are are, are not fans of Eddie's singles work. Um, it's not an uncommon opinion that I've heard. I'm I'm a fan personally. I do understand why people prefer him in a tag, particularly with Mark. Um, and maybe that will happen. Maybe. But, I mean, I, I don't I don't claim to know anything. That's one of the things I uh, people always uh, ask me if I know stuff about progress. I don't know anything. Um, I I don't I don't know anything that's going to happen. Um, but perhaps that could be a direction, even just for some a couple of shows to get Eddie strong again and get him, you know, get him running again. And then if Mark does go away again, bringing him back into the single side of things. Um, I think there's. I think Gibson versus Dennis is a potential. You know, that's a potentially good program, and he could work with guys like Nathan Cruz and be a fan favorite in that sense. Or maybe he needs another direction and uh, a, a change of character, perhaps. But I think there is a lot of mileage out of Eddie. But yeah, uh, yeah, you're right that this match was really again just kind of a storyline thing to cement Zach Gibson. And uh, I mean, I don't think we've seen Eddie since, right? No, no. No, he wasn't yeah, on twenty two. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think we have seen him in a match since then. Um, so maybe we'll see him at twenty three, or maybe we'll see him on twenty four, or twenty five, or whenever. But at some point, I could see mm-hmm. them. Um, I could see him making a comeback. Something to do with the the Andrews title match, um, whether that's a heel turn or just to to back him up. Um, those two are so closely linked, especially in progress that. Um, uh, I can't imagine him not. Well, I I could imagine him, but I expect he'll be involved with um, the the Osprey Andrews title match at twenty three uh, in some world or another. Right. So following following um, that match, we had we did have the last match for intermission, uh, and that was an impromptu match. Um, so uh, they're about to go to intermission, and then Jimmy storms out with. Paul and the Omega uh, demands an, uh, a match. He says that he knows they don't do title rematches, but wants a number one contenders match. He doesn't care who it is, so bring them out and he'll beat them up, or he'll make their life even worse than he made it while he was champion. Uh, Jim then says that it's Paul Robinson, it's no disqualification. 
Paul tries to lie down, but then uh, Jim says that if either of them lie down, they're fired, and there's some shit under the ring for them to kill each other with uh, and to have at it. And that leads us into one of the most violent matches in progress history. Probably uh, probably the, the top two most violent matches in progress history, weapons-wise, along with Jimmy versus James Davis from Chapter 8. Yeah. Yeah, this one was uh, pretty damn brutal and a real like flashback to Havoc's um, deathmatch days. I would say it was a half deathmatch. It didn't quite qualify as a deathmatch. It had a few of like the tropes. It had the light tubes, but I think they were used like a lot more smart than you would see on like CZW or Big Japan. Like they used them sparingly. Like they had the impact of like seeing the light tube and knowing mm. what that meant. But not like just overusing them, and I think only, they only Havoc only went through them twice, so it really wasn't overkill. It didn't feel like oh, seen it once, seen it all. The the spots they worked were very smart, and I feel like they looked more violent than they were. I'm not sure, but it seemed like they knew what they were doing, and they weren't gonna kill themselves completely. Obviously, it would have hurt, but. I feel it was worked very smart, and it was worked more like a proper match with a proper story, and that's why it worked so yeah, well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know if you, as an aside, I don't know if you, I wonder if you guys have both seen the chapter eight match with James Davis. Yeah. Um, I was, I, I being at that show, that uh, that show was hot as hell. Oh my god, I don't think I've ever been in a building that hot in my life. It was <laughs> disgusting. Um, I usually sit in the front row, but I'm not a huge fan of that kind of match, so I did uh, move move away for that match. And uh, even watching that from a distance, that match was was horrible, horrible. <laughs> and uh, the garage, obviously a much more intimate venue than the Electric Ballroom. Uh, mm-hmm. When I say horrible, I mean horrible in the sense that it was incredibly violent, uh, but again, very dramatic. And I, I think goes to show that. I mean, even whatever you think of Jimmy's deathmatch work, his deathmatches generally had a purpose, uh, especially when he was in control of them. When he was working with, you know, imports and things like that, maybe not. But I, I think a lot of his deathmatches, like he's done deathmatches with uh, with John Ryan, uh, Corrupt, Sex, and even Zach at times, um, which have all been impactful. And he hasn't really done too much of the stupid overkill. And I think this was kind mm. of... Uh, Maybe from them showing a little bit of, particularly from Jimmy, maybe showing people that that kind of match does have a place, uh, because it certainly had a place here. And, and Progress doesn't do weapons matches too often; doesn't do crazy matches like this. Um, I, I do think this was a bit of a risk doing two and two shows because the last show uh, had a pretty crazy no disqualification match with Osprey and Havoc. Um, mm-hmm. But even that 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 wasn't overkill, of course, because that was a, a big feud ender. Not even just between those two, but between Jimmy and Progress, effectively. Um, so these these matches do have their place, but I think it would be maybe a little while before yeah. we see something so weapons-heavy in Progress again. It definitely had a place on this show, especially as an unannounced match. That's It was so surprising that we would get like this kind of violence because no one was expecting it. It always yeah. made it more effective, but it wasn't announced beforehand. Well, I basically, um, I'm very squeamish, so I, I couldn't get into this, but it, <laughs> um, from what I, what I can uh, bear to watch, um, Havlick's death matches do seem better than most, but I, I just can't get into them. 
but I, I'll trust you when you say it, it was uh, better than your average deathmatch. It was better than most deathmatches. I'd say it's probably the best one I've ever seen, especially being second row. That's a good show. Like, some of the stuff happening right in front of me. Like, yeah, it was pretty crazy to see. And it, it went to places that, like, I not really seen at a live wrestling show before. I mean, it wasn't utterly brutal, but it was brutal enough that they had to retire the mat. The re- <laughs> splattered yes, with blood. I have canvas. pictures on my phone of the of the aftermath, and it just, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look pleasant. I hope my bit's got blood on it. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna go up on my wall. You can have Jimmy office. Havoc's blood with you forever. <laughs> I did for a while, for a long time, in fact, have a piece of progress memorabilia with Jimmy's blood on it, uh, which was a frying pan <laughs> from the match at Chapter Three with John Ryan uh, that I took from under the ring. Um, I w- and I, I had that for a long time. Actually, I threw it. I went and moved. Uh, <laughs> I was tempted to do ago. something like that and try and like get a piece of, uh, but uh, <laughs> the staff were on it very quickly, removing it all. So yeah, when there's things like light tubes yeah. and shit involved, and glass, <laughs> I wouldn't be no. going raking around. But when it's a little bit more tame, you can maybe get away with it. And also, um, the match was enhanced because of the emotion tied to it. Because this was like the end of the story. Uh, Havoc was defeated at Chapter 20, lost his title, but there was still this dangling thread of Robinson and regression, and they needed to deal with it. And ha- having Havoc put over Robinson as like a new heel threat was very effective. And almost washing Havoc of his sins by have, having him go through this kind of hell and like have him have Robinson beat the shit out of him it almost turned him face and at the end he gets the standing ovation uh Jimmy fucking havoc chance and Jim Smallman helping him to his feet so like a really symbolic and emotional end to the story that they were telling for about 3 years and that made the violence mean something it, again it wasn't just another death match yeah i mean it's 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 always hard to uh it's 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 always hard to know where to go with stories like this because i mean really logically is there any way that just losing his title was going to make jimmy go away right i mean this is the guy who threatened to chop a guy's head off this is the guy who was held shows hostage before so he was always there was always going to be an epilogue to that story and this feels like a fitting end it's and it's also nice i think the progress fans uh i mean i will i i think progress is the best wrestling company in the uk by a mile and i think they're also the best wrestling fans um mostly because they are so invested that they will allow themselves to believe but at times when you get to points like this the crowd will kind of the crowd's kind of in on it most of the time right like a lot of the time when the crowd's booing jimmy or like giving the middle finger it's out of respect because they're fans Mm -hmm. of jimmy havoc there were a lot there was like a growing minority of uh, of cheers and stuff for Jimmy, but I think that was less part of the. I think Havoc was. Base. But when you get moments like this, mm-hmm. the cr- the fan base will kind of drop the gimmick, oh, if yeah. you like. And you saw the same with uh, the London Riots at Chapter Fifteen, that when they were gone from Progress, the London Riots were cheered, mm-hmm. given a standing ovation. I think um, Havoc was such an effective heel that people really wanted to boo him. Um, like, the character that he created, the aura that he created. Yes, people were playing along with it to a certain extent, but, like, I think that's the most effective heel work I've seen in the UK, at least, ever. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> and the story they told was so well. So this was... The story they told was so good. So this was a very, like, cathartic ending, and 
I think the plan was to turn him face at the end, but certainly the crowd felt it very organically that they realised that this was kind of the end of the story and maybe we wouldn't see Havoc for a while after this. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think after a character's been such a big part of the shows, you do need to take a break. And Progress have always been uh, fans of rotating people in and out. You saw it with uh, El Ligero, for example, after El Ligero lost the title of Chapter 8. He was gone until Chapter 11, and you saw the riots rotated out for a couple of shows. And people like, yeah, he's obviously been rotated out for the moment. Uh, You know, people have come and gone, and I think it's it's good to keep people fresh. And it means that when people do come back, your people are like, oh, well, I'm glad he's back. I haven't seen him on a show for a couple for a couple of months. It's at this point, it's a couple of months. It used to be like six months. But, uh, oh yeah, it has been a fortnight and I haven't seen him in the last three progress shows, so there you go. It it definitely, even if I can't really appreciate the, ma- the match itself, it definitely set up Havoc perfectly for what he's going to do when he comes back. Because um, he said that the, him leaving was definitely something that, that added to the, the kind of the, the impact of the story. But when he comes back, he's got to have something to do, and him going face is, it almost feels inevitable now. But it also, after this, it feels natural. It, it won't feel forced at all when he, because the, the fans, they appreciate what he's done so much. And, you know, when, when you, you have a really good heel, you, you enjoy booing him. But it gets to the point where, you you know he's so good at what he does that you want to like him, and this has just set that up perfectly. Um, he is going to be one of the most over faces when he comes back, um, assuming he does come back as a face. It, it's not set in stone, obviously, but uh, this does definitely uh, plant the seeds for that. When do you see him coming back? Not until not until two thousand sixteen. I think they could pop the crowd in Manchester by having him run in there. I, I, I wouldn't say 23. 24 at the earliest, chapter 24. I mean, like you say, he's not going to come back without without a purpose. Um, and I think it will be an extended period of time. It'll be one of the longer breaks we've seen. I don't think we're talking three shows. I think we're talking uh, significantly more than that. And as I say, I don't know anything. As always, I have no idea who's going to be, could be announced for uh, chapter 22 tomorrow who knows uh, chapter 23 rather but I think he will be gone for a while and, and when he comes back he will have to come back for a reason I think uh, not to uh, not to shit on other British companies at all but when you see certain wrestlers that we may just be talking about returning to companies after long periods of time when they are very very hot in the scene generally and then being given really nothing to do just to brought back as a return to pop the crowd, which other companies have maybe been guilty of doing, then it doesn't really get over, and and you kind of weaken the the star yeah. power. And I, th- I think you really need to. He he will always be a guy that's near the top. I mean, you could just put him back in the mid card. He's going to have to have something to do. I I don't imagine him challenging for the title ever again. But who knows? I I think it will be just like while. um my my phrase trust in ghetto for New Japan booking. I trust in. Uh, Smallman, Glenn, <laughs> etc., and progress booking. I think they've earned that trust, and so I know that when Havoc yeah, is coming exactly. back, they will have a very strong plan for him because he's such a big part of the show. 
if they didn't have um, the first ever Manchester show coming up, I'd have definitely agreed with you saying, well, at least until 2016, probably, you know, a few months into 2016. But th there is a part of me that thinks if they, they want to go up to Manchester and give them, you know, the, the full progress experience, Jimmy Havoc is such a, an ingrained part of progress by this point. You know, you think of progress, one of the first things you think about is Jimmy Havoc. They might want to have him come back there. Uh, that will mean he's only missed, uh, what would that be? That will be two chapters, which you could argue is a bit short of a... T no, that will be three chapters, because we'll have 21, 22 and... No, 22 and 23 will be missing. Two chapters, I can count. Um... Yeah, where was I going there? Uh, I've got all confused by counting. Yeah, so he, he will be only missing two chapters if he does come back in the first Manchester show, which you could argue is a bit bit of a short um, turnaround, uh, perhaps weakens the impact. But um, it it's definitely interesting. Uh, it, it's a hook um, for the shows above and beyond what the matches announced going in. You're always... Until he does come back, you're always going to have that, oh, is this the show where Havoc comes back? Oh, is Havoc going to be here? Which, you know, not that the shows particularly need them, being that they're, they're all selling out anyway, but um, it, it's great to have that bit of anticipation. And, uh, you know, the longer he is away, the more effective him coming back is going to be. Obviously, to an extent, you know, if you leave it a couple of years, some people may forget about him, but obviously it's not going to be that long. Um, but I'm definitely a fan of the way progress is rotating people in and out. Um, as you said, it, it's made guys feel fresh when they come back. And, you know, the British scene is becoming so deep now that you can't use every great British worker all on the same show. They simply don't fit unless you've got a 10-hour show. So, um the combination of keeping guys fresh and also featuring everyone who deserves to be featured, even if they're not on every show, it's definitely a plus. Um, a lot of companies could, you know, really learn a thing or two about rotating talent in and out and keeping matches fresh. Um, that pro That's the thing progress really does. Mm -hmm. I, I am worried, though, you brought this up a little bit, that if Havoc doesn't come back for a while... Every at the end of every single show, people will be going, "Oh, is Jimmy coming out? Is Jimmy gonna come out?" It's almost it, it's almost like a tease that they have to deliver on, and people will be expecting it. And I would say Chapter Twenty Two did suffer from not having him. It just it, he's such a part of progress now that they almost need to wean people off of expecting havoc all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I would agree. Now, obviously, we'll talk about this with uh, with Twenty Two. Is that you you can't I, it's almost impossible to argue the 22 wasn't a weaker show because we are at the point where jimmy havoc who has been such a big part of progress is no longer with the company and we're rebuilding uh you know they're, they're rebuilding what's going to be the plans for into 2016 uh without him and it's and what a, a non-havoc progress looks like um and we're still not sure really what a non-havoc progress does look like we don't really know because we've got you know we had paul robinson but that felt like maybe uh, a little bit of a hangover from regression. I don't think Mark Andrews is going to come in as a new top heel. This feels like kind of a a one-off re revisiting of the prior storyline to try and build 
Will's uh, stock as champion, um, and what you know who's going to be the the big bads, I guess, going forward. You know, you can look at guys like Marty and the Origin, I think, as the prime candidates right now. But it could be someone else entirely that we've not even seen yet. Who knows? Uh, I mean, Jimmy Havoc was brought in with this storyline, or, or the kind of the the bare bones of this storyline were there from the very early stages of turning Jimmy into something else uh, from what he'd been and allowing him to be as good as 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 the guys knew that he could be um and that could be in the works now for whoever you know it could be who knows chuck mambo <laughs> could be the next uh top evil heel in progress and the seeds were have been planted and we won't see it for a year but who knows uh, it's just a random name i've picked <laughs> out of my head i love chuck but i don't i don't think he could i don't think he could do heel that's just my opinion because uh let's you know chuck lives the gimmick but uh chuck is his gimmick but I, I think it's it's it is still you know we are in a a post Jimmy Havoc world now and we do have to we have to get used to it a little bit I think before we uh, start really seeing what it's going to really shape out as. Right, so moving on to the post intermission matches, um, we started off um, the second half with Marty Skull versus a returning Chris Travis. Thoughts. I mean, it was really nice to see Chris Travis one last time. Uh, obviously, we didn't know at the time, but this was to be probably Trav's last match in progress and one of his last matches in uh, British wrestling. I'm not sure. I think it. I think it was. I think it was his last right? match. Yeah. Yeah, and for it to be against Marty, of course, you know, we is quite well known. He's quite a good friend of Trav. Was was really good. Obviously, it was a, a great match, and seeing Travis come back was a, a great moment it was something i mean if yeah, you guys remember the start of the super strong style 16 weekend trav came out to to say hi to the crowd um and it's kind of a shame because you did feel at that point that whenever he came back he had a big baby face run in him and i i have seen his work elsewhere in places like pcw seen his matches with uh guys like uh kevin steen and i know you know he's an incredible singles worker uh, even without the comedy gimmick of Project Eagle, yeah, but the comedy gimmick of Project Eagle was so good. Um, I, I did love the Project Eagle tag team in progress, but it did always feel like there was going to be a point where maybe Trav could break out and be uh, a top guy in progress, and it felt like maybe when he came back, because he was going to be so popular coming back from it from the cancer, that he had that in him, and I feel like that might have well have been where this was going to you know, eventually lead to, and obviously that's that's not going to happen. But this match in itself was good. It definitely, uh, the post-match angle was definitely uncomfortable. I don't think, I think it was designed as such. Um, and it really changed as a change of direction for, uh, for, for Marty that takes him in a, in a different spot. Yeah. I find it a bit difficult to like critique this match, seeing as Travis has now had to retire. Um, but definitely the post-match worked very well to get Skull back on track give him like a proper character rather than just this kind of I'd compare him to Captain Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean just flirting on the edges of the plot and not really doing anything but being still popular anyway that's sort of been Skull's progress run so far now I need he'd been <laughs> the villain for a little while but it just yeah. kind of found it impossible he, to get yeah moved. he was the villain but babyface it was very strange so now with Havoc out it almost seemed natural it was a perfect fit to move the guy called the villain who is a very good heel um I think a better heel than a face really and move him into that spot where it does look like they're gonna build him up as the top heel along with the origin 
I'll, uh, I'll just say I did completely call the way this match <laughs> went down. Um, uh, a couple of, I think uh, both you and Arn, um, Ollie, thought that uh, Skrull was winning here. I said, nah, Travis is winning on his, his comeback, and then post-match Skrull will attack him because there's no, no better way to, to get heel heat than a, than attack the the um the feel good story of Travis, um, the match itself um I thought it was good perhaps a victim of overly high expectations because I, I I've always been a huge fan of Travis um both as a tag wrestler and a singles wrestler um and obviously Skull is. You know, the world has realised that he's very good now, um, what with his PWG appearances. Um, the I match think... between uh, the, the Project Eagle Hunters match from Chapter 8 is a real hidden gem of progress that I would recommend anyone check out. Just one of the <laughs> funniest matches I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's almost amazing. It well, sadly, it was amazing to see um, how great Travis was at both the straight-up matches and the comedy, there, there, there weren't many who could do both as well as Travis could. And obviously it's heartbreaking to see what's, um, he's had to re-retire at this point, or however you want to put it. Um, there were a few spots in this match where there was perhaps a little bit too much no-selling for me, but, um, you know, everyone's mileage varies and that sort of thing. But uh, in a vacuum, I thought this was very good and worth watching, and... Um, the post-match definitely set up Skrull well. Um, uh, as we've kind of mentioned, Havoc leaving definitely left a vacuum at the top of progress in in the heel role. <clears throat> in the heel role, and um, having having Marty really embrace the heel side after he's been kind of um, stuck as a kind of tweener and not floating and not really doing too much for a, quite a long time. Um, re- really is a, a positive moving forward, um, even if, sadly, Travis isn't going to um, be a part of progress moving forward. Um, I-, I did just check it up. This was his last match ever, according to Cage Match. So, um, you, Ollie, you were there live, right? Yep. Yeah. You've got to see his last match. <laughs> Bittersweet. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so next up, we have the uh, Sumerian Death Squad's open challenge um, for their tag titles. Uh, and this was answered by Roderick Strong and Adam Cole, um, which is really amazing to see that a British company can bring in the top American stars in Strong and Cole unannounced. And it, you know, that's a real strength of what Progress can do. They've, they've built up such a buzz that they, they sell out usually without announcing any of a card. And, and that, obviously, there's negatives of that and positives. You know, you people can always make the argument that if you, you sell out without announcing a card, it's never going to encourage the promoters to really go all out. But the benefit of that is you can have surprises like Strong and Cole and not need to announce them the way if you, a, a normal British promotion was bringing in Strong and Cole... Um, You'd announce them because you need need to announce them to help the draw. But um, with progress already selling out every time, um, 
it allowed them to do stuff like that. This, uh, this was a fantastic match. Uh, this, um, this was mental live. Just strong come like when I heard Strong's music, here, I was like, oh my god, is that is it actually Roderick Strong? Oh my god, it is. And then when he said baby, I didn't even twig that that meant Cole, but everyone else did, and then I twigged it, and oh god. After the craziness of Robinson Havoc, and then seeing Chav again, everyone, the crowd was really into this show. It was probably the hottest crowd uh, I've been throughout a whole show at Progress, and they're always very hot, but particularly on this one, just because of all the, all the crazy things that were happening one after another after another. And it really peaked with the big announcements of the Americans. Like, you knew that the open challenge would be answered by someone good. It wasn't just going to be a uh, random guy and random guy. Um, it was going to be big names. And, yeah, they totally delivered. Even though they've both been at Progress before, it still felt really special. And, yeah, this match was off the chain. What did you guys think it was going to be? I was thinking Zack Sabre Jr., potentially. That could be interesting. Um, going in, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember what I thought going in. It was, you know, a couple of months ago now. I think I, I went in without a clue. Um, maybe I thought, who would I, um, I, I thought maybe Two Unlimited, perhaps? But that was like <laughs> a, you know, just a random guess. That would really have been very no random. I'd go on a limb and say Two Unlimited will never be in progress. <laughs> just a quote on a list. I would doubt it. I do like them though. I'm not down um, on them. <laughs> I say that I say that I never know anything in progress. That's something of a lie. I have occasionally been privy to information, and one such time was the first appearance of Adam Cole in progress. Uh because like I mentioned before, I did the interviews for that DVD, so I was there in, in around uh in the afternoon during the day before that show. That was a lot of things <laughs> to say before the show. Um, and I was just kind of milling about, and I saw a guy who looked distinctly like Adam Cole. Uh, I'd already gone and put my bag under a seat because I, st- I still was had my ticket, was going to sit in the crowd. And Adam Cole sat in my seat, and I said to John, "I said, you know, what's that's Adam Cole?" And John was like, "What's he doing here?" And I said, "Well, it's not as if he's bought a ticket, is it? Because you can't buy a ticket because it's sold out." Um, yeah, so I did know that was happening, and that was uh, that was kind of fun from the other side, sitting in the front row, seeing everyone's reaction because they had no idea who that was going to be. Obviously, that was an impromptu match as well that was set up at the start of the night. Um, a, a fun, there's a fun, a fun story behind that one that he phoned Progress asking if he could come and uh, wrestle there. Um, I don't know if they'll mind me telling that story, but he wanted to wrestle for Progress because he had a spare day on what was the original title wrestling tour. Um, yeah. title which has now kind of developed into a fairly decent promotion in the the north of England originally was this super ambitious import heavy national tour um, but it didn't go very well and it didn't sell very well and they ended up cancelling a date uh, in the south on the exact date of, of Progress Chapter 10 and that's how that match came about. Um, yeah this was uh, as you say just a testament to the strength of Progress that they can sell out cards uh without having to announce anything as we've seen from Hit the North in a brand new venue and a brand new market with not even a single wrestler announced. Um, but I think you'll see from progress that they, yes, you're right that it could encourage lazy booking from another company, but I don't think you'll ever see that from progress. I think 
the fact that these shows do sell out, it, as you say, you know, they don't need to go all out to put people on the card to sell that show, but they need to put people on that card to sell the next show, right? Yeah. Because the next show goes on sale the next day. So if you've come to the Progress show that you bought tickets for and what happened was amazing and there were surprises and it was, you know, there, were, there was lots of added value, you're going to go buy a ticket to the next one and the next one and the next one. And if you keep delivering that, that's how you get people to buy things like season tickets, which are going to sell out, I am pretty confident, yeah, um, very quickly. Uh, they're putting half of the ticket allocation for the ballroom shows next year on sale, which is 12 ballroom shows, <laughs> monthly chapter shows at the ballroom with bi-monthly chapters in mm. Manchester. So we're doing 18 chapters next year. Uh, progress fans it's gonna be it's a, I'm, I'm glad i've already decided to stop going to every chapter <laughs> because if i hadn't i would have to now because <laughs> the season ticket is very tempting um but it does it, it creates that loyalty and we saw that with the surprise of yeah no i i can i can definitely see that um but the surprise i mean the surprise of adam cole in the first place obviously the surprise of these guys i'm trying to think what other surprises there have been if there's been any Bennett? other surprise imports before uh, yes, Devon. Kind of, Cup kind of import. Uh, you know, better known yeah. for his uh, Japanese stuff at that point. Sure. Yeah. 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 That was a surprise with the Hannibal. Game. And we've been talking all this time about the imports, but of course the champions, Sumerian Death Squad, who are also semi-imports coming from uh, Holland, but they I were European. I don't. I don't think yeah. <laughs> they have to take a boat here or fly over. I don't know how they get here, but. Uh, yeah, they were tremendous in this match as well, and the first two defences for SDS have been fantastic. The Hunter Brothers match, I was all over, I really loved that one. And this one was just as good and just crazy in so many ways. The crowd was going crazy for it throughout, and End and Dante both looked tremendous, and Strong and Cole really did a lot to put them over, make their big moves look even bigger. Yeah, those guys did a tremendous job of, of making them look amazing. The The Sumerian Death Squad are incredible. Um, and I mean, Tommy N's probably one of the best workers in the world at this point. The Death Squad, they're very good when they keep it in the ring. They they do have kind of a tendency to, to go uh, perhaps a little overboard in the crowd brawling department, but when they keep it in the ring, uh, and they always have these these long sprints, if that makes any sense. They're like really fast yeah. pace, and and you get to the end of the match and think, wow, that was a great sprint. And then you look at the time, and they've gone fifteen minutes or <laughs> something. And they're you know they they they're brilliant at um being a team. Um, you know their teamwork together is just yeah. Amazing. They're always in the right place to hit like. They get so creative with their moves. Like they have their set, their set menu, the Alicart, Sumerian Death Squad. <laughs> but they also get very creative with how they set it up and the ways like they can use their opponents to get into certain positions. It's very difficult to explain. You just have to watch their matches. But they they're always very different. They hit the same moves, but they set them up differently. I don't know if that makes any sense. But I just yeah, I love their, their creativity. Yeah. A very um. They've got a great variety to their transitions. And their championship run so far has been fantastic, like I say. And I think eventually it's going to get to the point where they'll be able to main event a progress show with these tag team championships. And I think being able to beat a team like Strong and Cole is part of that build, building to the point where you can put the death squad in the main event. 
Yeah, and I think that's um, something that's going to be very important going forward because, as you've you've mentioned, they're going to be running so many more shows. You know, eighteen chapter shows this next year. You said, um, uh, and you're probably not going to have eighteen um, progress championship matches in a year. There simply aren't going to be enough challengers or enough challengers that you'll you want to put in a main event spot. Um, I mean, if you look at Osprey, he he's only had what two defenses now, and the list of guys for him left to face isn't, you know, I'm not sure I could r- draw up 18 more guys that I'd want mm-hmm. him to face, maybe lose the title before then, obviously, but um, having the Death Squad ready to main event in one of their bigger tag title matches is, is definitely a great tool for Progress to use. Um, I could see them doing that with the the London riots match which is being set up on chapter 22 um that that match definitely has the feel of a match that could main event if they they want it to um i'm not sure obviously i have no idea what the plans are for that but um i'd be completely okay with london riots versus sumerian death squad going in at a main event yeah i mean you can set up from show to show and we saw that with jimmy like the uh the noam dar match for example was kind of set up on like the previous show and that was kind of a one and done thing it led into the the eight man and then they had the the triple threat with rampage and mastiff which didn't really go any further than that the four way at, at chapter 12 they did kind of keep it relatively fresh uh i mean his first point was Zack saber jr which obviously was was just kind of a one show program so you can you know you can write these things and there are there are lots of guys i like the idea of bringing bringing in a guy like andrews who doesn't need a four show program in in progress to be built up as a title challenger. I mean, he's a former champion. He has two wins over Osprey. It's it's it sells itself, right? You don't need to build the guy up. Um and we could see maybe a bit more of that and uh that's something that the ICW have done on their tours as they've been running more shows is bringing in guys to to face Drew Galloway for their championship who haven't necessarily even been in the company before or we're challenging for like the mid-card titles for example but they have a pedigree among British wrestling that they can get away with it. Yeah, that's definitely an option. You know, as you said, throughout progress history, they, they have done a lot of set a guy off on one show and then he challenges for the title of the following show. But um, the, while that, that works show to show, um, in terms of the, the frequent... Because they're running shows more frequently... Um, you're simply going to run out of guys unless you're repeating matches, and Progress doesn't seem a big fan of um, uh, big rematches unless there's a real storyline behind it. Um, I mean, as you said, I've got faith in um, the the management to continue putting on a fantastic product. They've they've done so for the last three years or so now. Um, But, um, yeah, building, building up the tag titles definitely isn't a negative. Uh, let's put it that way. Right, so moving on to the main event of the night, um, in what for me was the match of the night, uh, and that was the Progress Championship match. Uh, Will Ospreay making his first defence against Mark Haskins. I loved this. Loved match. it. it was, I went four and a half stars in my review, and this is 
possibly the progress match of the year, either this or Osprey Sabre Jr. Just really fantastic, and Haskins absolutely delivered in the main event. I was a little bit worried that this match would almost get lost in the shuffle after all the amazing things that happened earlier in the show, and I did, I did feel that the crowd was a little bit burnt out by this point, but this was one of those matches where you don't want the crowd to be, like, ultra exuberant and, like, take it over. It was more... Uh, more respectful, more watching the match for what it was as an excellent match rather than like trying to get the crowd too involved. And so the crowd didn't need to be chanting and going all out. They just needed to watch and love it, basically. And that is exactly what happened. Osprey and Haskins delivered a, a fantastic like standalone match, but you didn't really need to have any story behind it. it you, this could be your first progress show. You, this could be your first progress match and you could watch it and love it yeah i mean it, it was it was very japanese in that way that the crowd was kind of uh appreciative of the match and again this is part of the step change right in a, a post havoc world is that now we have main events which don't have to have uh creative finishes to keep the heel strong but also not make it boring and predictable which is something that progress did very well uh throughout jimmy havoc's title reign it was never boring when he won, when he managed to retain, like when he was in there with guys like Dave Mastiff and Rampage, they still managed to find an interesting, believable, and uh, not kind of cliche way for him to win the title and and have that end. Um, but this was just a a clean title match. It was a a very good wrestling match with one man coming out the better at the end, them shaking hands, and that being the end of it. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, I loved Havoc's reign, um, especially from storyline perspective, but the matches too, they were a lot of fun. But it was so great to see like a, a non-car crash main event, which, you know, we haven't seen for a long time in progress, because Havoc as champion lend, lended himself to that. Um, you know, you didn't have any interference, it wasn't hardcore, there wasn't wild crowd brawling, it was just two of the best guys in the British scene, um getting a chance to really have a fresh blow away match in a main event spot in front of a hot crowd. And, you know, you can't really ask for much more than that. Um, uh, th there were a couple of times where I'd say it kind of edged on overkill. Um, that, that's a very easy, easy um, argument to make. But um, there, there were a couple of spots where Perhaps Osprey got a little carried away, and you know, I think you could definitely make the argument that Osprey hit too many big top rope moves. You know, he uh, it, it felt a bit weird seeing um, Havoc hit two Phoenix splashes, you know, a six thirty, a corkscrew moonsault, uh, an imploding four fifty, all in one match, and, and attempt mm. a shooting star. I mean, like. Um, it was a great go-go-go match, you know, high pace, a lot of fun, but perhaps, it, you know, he, you could make the argument that he did do a little too much, and it, it, it gave each move that he did do a bit less impact, because, you know, after the, the fourth flippy top rope move, the fifth one isn't quite as powerful, so that did lead to the finish not quite getting the huge pop. Um, as as you perhaps expect for it, if it hadn't have been preceded by you know all the other top rope moves, um, like you compare him to a guy like Seidel, 
um, who's, you know, I'm hugely a fan of. Uh, I think he's probably the best high flyer in the world. Um, uh, and his only real top rope move of like a finisher level move is the shooting star. But he doesn't need to do a bunch of top rope moves to prove he's an amazing high flyer. He has his shooting star, and whenever he hits it, it's a huge reaction. And um, I, I love Osprey. I think he's fantastic, but perhaps he could, you know, take a take notes from Side Out mm. um, um, in that respect. There is. But that all said. That all said, this was action and excitement, and I loved it. Um, don't don't get me wrong there. There there they, there were some nitpicks, but <laughs> you're just watching this match, and as you said, you could watch it in a vacuum and love it. Um, go out of your way to watch this one. Definitely, there is a worry that Osprey will do too much. Like that, it'll become his status quo to do too many flippy moves, and he become. But I think I have faith in Osprey that he's he gets wrestling he gets the emotion he gets what you need to do to put in the performance beyond just flipping around uh there is a worry that he does a bit too much and he could dial it back uh but his osprey is always wrestling in main event style matches he's it seems to me that like every time i see him he's in a big singles match this the main event of progress progress championship main event um the okada match at rev pro obviously a big deal uh, he never wrestles these sort of smaller matches of the where he could dial it down. It almost seems like every time he goes out, he's being put in a position where he has to go all out, and so you don't really get any other performance from him other than going all out with four or five really impressive moves. And obviously, I, it's really impressive, but I, I would say the last uh, the last time he's been in a position in progress where he's not been in a featured match was uh, chapter twelve which was the match against Zach Gibson. Um, and I think you would see there, if you compare that to the Osprey that we're seeing in main events, that he does know when to dial it back and not try and steal the show when he's in the mm. second... No, he wasn't in the second... Was he in the second match? I think that was later, that was, that was later on, because the first two were... That was the NPS match. Yeah, but yeah. the first two matches in that show were Tommy and Paul and uh, Grado and Manson, because Tommy and Grado had to fly it to Glasgow. Um yeah, there was a yeah the the match against Zach Gibson in chapter twelve. I think is a good example of what you're saying that he can just do enough um, for the position of the car. But I think you're right that he's just he's been in main events. I mean, this was his what? So he was in the main event at uh, this one of the days of nineteen eighteen seventeen, not sixteen sixteen was second from the top against Paul. Uh, yeah, fifteen was the main event. Yeah, fourteen so, yeah. was the second biggest match on the show, or maybe one of, one of the featured matches. Uh, and mm. thirteen was that crazy tag match. So he's been in main events pretty much ever since. And it's it's a good it's good that Osprey gets so many chances to show how amazing he is. And it has a worry that he, that could be overkill or people will turn on him. But right now, you want to ride for hot hand. You want to ride one of the best, if not the best, performers in Britain. You want to showcase his talents, and I think that's why you're getting so many Osprey main events and so many, like, Osprey big matches with, with him doing a lot of stuff. Uh, if he's ever... He's not going to get de-pushed down the card, but if he ever slots into a lower role when he loses the title or whatever, 
you'll maybe get to see a different side of him. But for now, it's good that we're getting like the big hot hand and we're getting all these big moves and big matches and it leads to stuff like four and a half star matches with Haskins. I can definitely see your point, but I think there's a there's a difference between wrestling in a, in a main event style and doing too much. Uh, like there's if you look at his match against Styles um, uh, from oh what show was that? Was that High Stakes this year? Yeah, I think yeah. that was that. Um, for Red Pro, um, he he wrestled there and he had a fantastic match and he wrestled it like a main event but at no point did I feel like he was doing too much and I kind of get the feel that when he's taking the lead in a match uh, that's when it kind of um, it can get into that overkill area um, where when he's working with someone more experienced than him uh, or a higher profile like a Styles or a, a Seidel that that's when he, for me, that's when he's been at his best. Um, although Haskins is, I, I imagine that he at least played a, a large role in putting this match together. So maybe that theory doesn't quite work. But um, and I think we haven't really touched enough on how great Haskins was here. He was a fantastic base for Osprey, and uh, this this whole year for Haskins has been. Maybe breakout's the wrong word because he was already a pretty large player on the scene before this year, but um, he, it's really been a fantastic year for Haskins, um, and he's been delivering every single time, and this was no different. He, he, a, a great base for Osprey. Haskins has established himself as one of the elite in British wrestling, and I think he's the best guy who wasn't picked to go to bowler, so there were the bowler guys, and Haskins is right in the, in that same level. And he's proven himself really over the second half of this year. Because at the start of the year, the first, like the first progress show of the year, I remember him being in like the random match with Rampage Brown. Obviously there was some story in there, but it was like five minutes and ended with a DQ, and it was kind of a damp squib. Obviously that was building up to the, their bigger no-DQ match later. But he was sort of directionless for the first half of the year. And then after uh, the Super Strong Style, uh, he suddenly... He won the Thunder Bastard. He got more of a direction elsewhere in Rev Pro. He's been getting these big matches with imports. He had uh, a very fun match with Naito over the New Japan weekend. He's really proven himself uh, since he turned face, I think. No, I, th- I, th- I think you guys are right on, on Haskins. Obviously, he's now transitioned into being one of the top guys in progress that is going to be in these featured matches. I mean, I'm not sure what... Uh, will be planned for him at Chapter 23, but obviously he has the match with, with Chamber 22 that we're going to talk about uh, if we ever get there. Um, <laughs> and and has, a, has a lot to do in progress and is one of the, has really been pushed up the card, obviously winning the Thunder Bastard as well, and really organically turned face um, in the sense that I think it was just uh, the crowd wanted to cheer him, so they just kind of went with it. Also, his new music's too often, so you know. His new, his new music is too awesome, sorry. His new music is too awesome. It's fantastic. I love it's his fantastic. I like his old music, but his his new one's great too. Um, so uh, overall, I thought Chapter Twenty One was a a very good show. I wouldn't quite put it on the level of Progress's very best. Um, the same way I'd 
I'd say uh, the second night of the super strong Star Wars, um, chapter 19, night two. But um, a very strong show. Yeah. Um, and well worth it. It was the conclusion of an excellent trilogy of shows for chapter 19, part two, chapter 20, and chapter 21. Like a fantastic, both from a work rate match perspective and a storyline progression perspective. Just really satisfying. And. I'm annoyed that I didn't get to go to um, the Super Strong Star Tournament, damn exams, but I got to see 20 and 21, and yeah, really fantastic shows, and some of the best shows I've been to live. Yeah, I mean, I think this was really the, uh, we talked about it earlier, about the trust, and I think this was really the example of why we need to, people need to have a little bit more faith in progress, potentially. Um, and their ability to to deliver when a lot of people were talking about this being potentially an underwhelming show. Um, obviously, there was a lot planned, uh, and there were things planned that people didn't know about, and you do just kind of have to trust progress a little bit. Right, so uh, moving on to the, the second show we're going to be talking about uh, today, uh, and that was the most recent chapter show, uh, Chapter 22, Trust, Encouragement, Reward, Loyalty, satisfaction um which took place on the 18th of october so about half a month ago by now um this show kicked off with uh the office uk spoof um by the geezers which was a lot of fun um with tom Irvin playing the uh the role of ricky gervais um it was a, a great way to kick off the show um yeah i enjoy it when they do these uh, like special videos. I remember they got Chris Kamara in for chapter 13 and that was hilarious. So it's always nice when they put a little personal touch on the show. It's, um, they've all been very British things. Um, <laughs> so, so maybe with um, Progress's international expansion, that's, well, more and more eyes are every show are on Progress from um, abroad. Um, may, maybe they're they're not quite getting the 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 same <laughs> same love for these little. I should have um, uh, as as we are. I should have asked Team Italy if they got what this was because I got my ticket off uh, the leader of Team Italy, who are the Italian guys who fly in, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> make, to think. make me look bad. That's <laughs> Team Italy, my my number one enemies of progress. I used to be the impressive one. Who came the the farthest, and then Team Italy showed up, cramping my style. Yeah, yeah. What can you do? Um, I really like uh, the way they've been using the geezers here. Um, you know, the, the, for me, this is where they're best used. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of their in ring work, but these little um, segments mm. there, they really, really shine. They're just tremendous at being themselves. <laughs> it's very difficult to comment on. It's just, it's glorious. Uh, the first match of the night was Dave match Dave Mastiff versus Jack Gallagher. In what turned out to be a very short match. Um, again, you could probably say this was more of an angle and less of a match. Um, as it led to Dave Mastiff uh, joining the Origin to be their fourth member of the current incarnation anyway. We've already um, we've already kind of discussed Mastiff joining the Origin. I think it's a good move. His promo here after the match was very good. 
Um, I, I've, the problem is I agree with a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wrote in my review that I kind of popped for the wannabe hipster fuckwit comment, because you walk around Camden, you know, there are nice people in Camden, I'm not saying everyone is a hipster fuckwit, but, you know... There's a few. <laughs> I mean, if you if you go to if you go to I, most other prominent British wrestling companies, there are a lot of people there trying to get themselves over. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, this is I guess this isn't to say about the companies, but like, uh, I've seen reports from the weekend that at PCW there was a triple threat between Bubblegum, Bubble Noam Dar, and El Ligero, and some fans were chanting derogatory things about that match and about. Uh, I think the chat yeah. was same old shit. Well, I'd watch that match every day of the week. Um, <laughs> so you should maybe get over yourselves and, and stop being so uh, spoiled. I, um, I really don't like the PCW crowd. Like, the, the, I know, I know a couple of people who go there who I'm, I'm good friends with, but by and large, they they don't make it enjoyable to watch a show. Um, but yeah, another topic. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I I I don't like to. To shit on other wrestling companies, but I mean, if you the the PCW Rumble from 2014 is on their YouTube channel. If you go and watch that, myself and a certain Progress co-owner accidentally sat in the front row opposite Hardcam, and you can uh, you can see what we think of that. Um, particularly when they stopped the Rumble to do a Harlem Shake spot that everyone seemed to enjoy, I did not enjoy that. Um, that's not for me. It's not for me. But yeah, there are, there are some people in these crowds who are trying to get themselves over and are more interested in being characters themselves than being involved in the ma- than being interested in the matches and i think we are seeing elements of that in progress i'd um, say i'd say progress gen- pro- uh, the, the progress crowds are generally okay for that sort of thing there's a few chants that i don't like and like there's always a few people who like try and get themselves over as you say my mo- the most egregious example of this would be from endeavor a few months ago when like, about five seconds before the finish of Zack Sabre Jr. versus Eva, when they're sort of doing some technical stuff and people are still making, like, Jesus jokes. I feel like at that point in the match, you kind of just have to appreciate the work, especially when it's Sabre Jr., rather than try and make jokes and get yourself over. Yeah, no, I I think there, there are some people in the Progress crowd who are starting to get beyond the line of what is entertaining and into just, like, why are you even here? Uh, because you want to be over, so I think for uh, for the for the origin using that as part of their gimmick, mm-hmm. for, for for some fans who there are some fans who feel more strongly about that than I do, um, the origin I guess will be baby faces for them, uh, and that's kind of it's it's always nice when heels ha- are believable uh, and have a reason to be heels, and what they complain about has an element of truth to it. Yeah, always... I like that progress tend to give their heels some sort of justification they're not just evil for the sake of it as you see in wwe sometimes yeah exactly and that's what we're seeing with the origin here that they're guys who were forsaken by the fans or tossed out by the fans and uh you know they hate the fans for perhaps some people might think legitimate legitimate reasons um but yeah i also like the word from zach gibson here and giving him that role uh yeah it was a, it was a good match for what it was it obviously was very short uh, to get where they needed to go i think this show overall i i think is a show that got them where they needed to go above anything else this wasn't uh you know we're going to talk about final thoughts at the end but this wasn't like a blow away show this wasn't a best 
progress of all time progress show, which is hard because there are a lot of really really good progress shows. So it's this is a show that would be really up there for a lot of other companies, but when the quality is so high in progress, it it is hard to to maybe mm. take a step. Back. They have a this was this was the transition to what you could effectively call a double header uh, in the end of November in Manchester. Those two two shows in a week with those two chapters, I think, is going to be interesting. Um, and of course, into 2016, it's kind of setting things up from here. Yeah, yeah. So um, Mastiff joined the Origin here. Um, uh, Gibson kind of came out mid-match, about five minutes in, and um, made the offer to both Gallagher and Mastiff um, for one of them to join the Origin. And then Mastiff attacked Gallagher from behind, choked him out, was yeah, it? Yeah, guillotine choke. Uh, yeah. Choked him out, uh, won the match, obviously, and uh, then joined and uh, cut said promo where he was um, derating the fans. Um, I just want to talk quickly here about what are your thoughts on um, Progress's heavy reliance on big heel stables? Because, you know, it has been a, a criticism I've seen made about them. And, you know, in their relatively short history, they, they do have a... Quite a few of them. You've got Screw Indie Wrestling. Um, you've got Regression. Now you've got The Origin. You had The Faceless at one point. Yeah. Um, obviously, they're very linked it's... to The Origin. But uh... I think I think it's fine as long as they don't dominate the show and as long as they have distinct purpose and storylines. I think the and I'd say I don't like to criticize other companies, but there are other companies which have multiple heel stables going on at once. I can think of. One company in particular in the UK right now, which has a major company, which has, I think, three different heel stables who are sometimes loosely aligned with each other and sometimes closely aligned with each other and sometimes not aligned with each other and not don't actually seem to have any <laughs> purpose or storyline permanently. I mean, you know, when, when it was regression, there was always what was going on with Jimmy and, of course, Paul had his own stuff going on. Uh, Screw Indie Wrestling was uh, kind of a short-lived thing, and that was uh, a vehicle for bringing in Haskins for what Cruz was doing. But it, that was more of a just kind of a loose theme for these guys as backing each other up. It wasn't like a a faction as or a stable as you might think of it. And then, I... for me, this is kind of the first real what you would call it an old-fashioned stable in progress. I'd I'd counter Rob's question by asking. Is there a company in Britain that doesn't have an overbearing heel sable in it? Is there a company <laughs> in the world which has a majority? <laughs> I mean, look at WWE. They have the authority right now. They've had... Bullet Club. Yeah. <laughs> stables are a, a staple of wrestling. And I think as long as it's not overdone and it's not like they're involved in... Because in, in other companies, what you see is when you have too many heel stables and too many people, too many heels aligned with each other, it means you have too much interference, too many run-ins, yeah. too many horrible finishes, and it's just, it it takes away from it. But we see in progress, we see inventive use of finishes, we see the fans never really being cheated out of a lot of things, and them being used uh, used well. Progress tends to avoid using interference for bigger matches, or when they do, it always gets interfered, like the baby faces counter the interference. In the Jimmy Havoc match, Robinson and Zercher came out, and then the riots came out, and that was done. That that plot thread was tied up. In the in the undercard, yeah, you do get interference for, with fuck finishes that are a bit unsatisfying. But you can sort of forgive in the undercard. 
They tend not to screw over main events. One of the things I definitely enjoy about Progress, even when they do have interference, is that the faces have friends. And that's something like, for example, in WWE, yeah. that, that always really annoys me. Why does nobody you know, like they're, your they're baby face? <laughs> this great good guy who you would imagine as, you know, all these other good guys would be good friends with him. But when he's getting, you know, attacked by three other bad guys, no one comes out to help him. But they do a good job in progress of guys having, you know, logical friendships. And um, it, it makes sense, which, you know, often is all, all you can ask for in uh, wrestling storylines. If they make sense, then great. And um, I think they do a good job with them. Um, I, w- I would say that just because a lot of other places do them doesn't mean they're good. Um, but it, it's, I, I wouldn't say uh, Progress has, has a, an over-reliance on heel stables. Um, I, I, think, I think I'm personally fine with the, the balance they've managed to keep. Um, I wouldn't want them to, you know, I, I think they're, they're perhaps getting close to the line. I wouldn't want... Um, them to go much further in that regard, but they, I think they've got a, a good balance where they currently are. Right, so moving on. Um, next up, we had a natural progression series first round match. Um, Tyler Bate in his, I think this is his first progress match. Yep. Um, going up against um, Pastor William Eva. In. What I'd have to say was a pretty disappointing match for me. Um, going in, um, I've heard a lot of great things about Tyler Bate. Uh, I have to say I haven't seen as as much as I should have seen with him, but what I have seen, uh, he, he's really impressed me. And um, as I've previously mentioned on this podcast, I, I'm a huge William Eva fan. Um, so these two having... I wouldn't say it was a bad match, but it, it felt a very basic yeah, match. Um, they weren't al- kind of disappointing. They me. weren't allowed to do very much here. They didn't have a lot of time, which is a problem that's now becoming almost synonymous with either matches, but he's only getting these six or seven minutes to do something. And he, but the way I saw it was, it was kind of like the way New Japan treats the Young Lions, kind of. They weren't supposed to be able to unleash loads of impressive stuff, especially only in the second match of the night. Um, they got in a few, like, of their own little individual signature moves, but they didn't get a chance to, like, build a real match. This was, it was, yeah, I'd say it was disappointing, but also that Bait and Eva are naturally infectious, but they managed to create something even with the little time they did have. And also, I was pumped to see Bait in progress. Um, you know, (laughs) he's 18 years old, for God's sake. And he's so impressive for that age and makes me feel um, inadequate every day. <laughs> and he came across really well. He's younger than you, though. He is younger than me. Is he younger than you? Uh, um, I think he's a few months older than me. Which, <laughs> uh, I still haven't quite got to the level where um, I'm seeing guys wrestle that are younger than me. Although I mean, Will Ospreay's um, younger than me, so that just <laughs> terrifies me. That's, uh... um, I think Curtis... Oh, I forget his name. There, there's a there's a guy in worked a few Rev Pro shows who's like sixteen. Which and there's a, um Dan Maloney. Scary. There's Dan Maloney as well, who's like Tyler Bates' best bud, I think, who's eighteen as well and also huge. I'd love to see Maloney in progress. 
as much as good. I think I think you're right, and I think uh, it was interesting to see Jim really put Tyler Bate over at the end. Yeah, uh, potentially like at that point you're like, oh, he could be maybe like a huge babyface in progress. Maybe um, who knows? I, I think that would indicate that we'll see him again. That was the best bit of the segment for me. Just seeing Bates like he was, he seemed so happy and awed to be there. Like he was so happy that people like recognized him and were chanting for him and i can get behind that i can get behind that sort of infectious attitude that he really wants this and i can sympathize and or empathize even that like he's showing off that kind of genuine passion i love that in wrestling when uh, the best example would be tozawa in dragon gate when people can show their just infectious charisma and it it comes over to the fans and makes you get behind them. Right, so third match in the card, we have the Geezers, um, Tom Irvin and Sebastian, taking on Lord Jonathan Windsor, who was a uh, last-minute replacement for Martin Kirby, who... Uh, why did he miss this show? Family issues, a family emergency or something, I think. It yeah, was. It, was a, it was a family issue, a personal issue. Um, uh, and team with Rampage Brown. Um, who was himself a replacement originally. <laughs> uh, for Chris Travis. This match kind yeah. of morphed beyond it. Sadly, this was supposed to be an Endeavor, the Geezers versus Project Ego, which was a match I think as soon as Trav was back around, uh, people were like, okay, I need to see that. Um, Rampage filled in at Endeavor 12, um, and they were going to have the rematch here, but then Kirby was out, so it turned into the Geezers versus Jonathan Windsor and Rampage Brown. Um, the easiest ma- night of Rampage Brown's career, <laughs> I could comfortably say. Yeah, um, this was, you know, it, it, this was a complete comedy match, um, as you'd expect if you, you're at all familiar with at least three three of these four guys. Obviously, Brown is a serious wrestler in general, but um, uh, and the thing with comedy is it's very subjective. Uh, it didn't really click for me. Um, I mean, it was it was fine, I guess, but you know, comedy very subjective. Your mileage may vary. It was probably a little bit better live than on tape, I'd say. Obviously, the geezers are very over, so everyone was just going crazy for them. But Windsor got the most out of them. I thought his performance individually was very good for someone who didn't even know they were going to wrestle that day. Like, yeah, I mean, I, Windsor is a guy who hasn't been on progress in quite a while. He. Uh... Had a match with Ali Armstrong and Endeavor a while back. Apart from that, he hasn't been in a chapter since chapter eight. He's um a trainer at the Projo. Yeah, he, do, he yeah. does train in the Projo. Um, he was in the first Natural Progression series and had a match with uh, Wild Boy at chapter five, um, where he played kind of more of, of a vicious heel. And then he had a, a match with Mark Andrews, where he made Mark Andrews look very good. Um, he was still very, very inexperienced when he wrestled at chapter five. And I thought he made a lot of improvements from chapter five to chapter eight. Um and he's just he's one of those guys who I think progress would very much happily put on a card but just don't like have anything they don't have anything for you at the moment yeah uh, and there's only so many spots and it's been kind of that way with him for a while um obviously they they do value him particularly as a wrestler because they have him training at their school so uh you may see him pop up in at endeavor or potential coming up in the future um but I mean I popped so hard for Irvin asking Windsor what the fuck he was wearing. I laughed so oh, yeah. much. It was <laughs> that was amazing. For um for context there, if you haven't seen the match, um Tom Irvin is wearing a The D- the David Brent Emu outfit. 
yeah. the guy wearing the emu yes. outfit. And Windsor's obviously in his robe, and he just says, "What the fuck you're wearing?" Uh, they brought out the slip and slide, slip and slides debut in progress. <laughs> um, and this was, yeah, this was just it was silliness. It was complete and utter silliness. And seeing Rampage Brown on the apron for literally the entire match, just laughing at everything, was hilarious to see as well. Um, yeah, Windsor played his role well. He, I appreciate that he wrestled for about three, three good minutes with his pants down. That can't be very easy or <laughs> uh, good on the you ego. To, but... <laughs> the, the biggest suspension of disbelief ever to believe that he couldn't just pull his pants up. <laughs> he did eventually pull him up, and the people behind me were getting legitimately angry that he wasn't <laughs> pulling his pants up. I don't think they particularly wanted to see his bare bum for that long. I, my, I wrote this in my review. I much preferred looking at uh, Lord Gideon Grey's crotch than Windsor's behind. Just for context on these royal wrestling characters. <laughs> well, whatever floats your boat. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> um, we're, we've we've gone a long time already, so let's let's move on. Um, next match was fairly polarizing from um, opinions I've seen. Um, Tomato Champa versus Mark Haskins. We kind of talked about this pre-show because we could, we just couldn't wait to talk about it because um, <laughs> there've been so many differing opinions on this. Um, what do you think, guys? Oh, I'm fired up to talk about this one. Um, so yeah, I've I've seen this getting a lot of love, like a lot of four four and a half star reviews. Uh, it made it into our Voices of Wrestling match of a month. Somehow, did people vote on that, or did someone particularly want it in as a pet project? Because I just saw it just pop up towards the end. That got in from um, that got in from fan votes. Oh, okay, so, so there were there were at least three people <laughs> who uh, loved that. At match least three people think this match. is the best match of the month. Uh, I don't agree with them. It, I'm I'm not trying to bury this match. I gave it three stars in my review, and I did like it, especially when it got going, especially the last few minutes, etc. But I just felt as a story, it didn't... Uh, as a live story, with the commentary, it worked a bit better. But as a live story, the campy comedy that Shampa entered with... I kind of got that he was doing the whole I'm an entertainer, Haskins is a fighter thing. But it after, especially after the geezer's comedy, it just didn't work very well. And it kind of killed my interest on the match. And... There was no build. I like it in matches when, you know, there's a slow first few minutes, but it, it looks like they're having a contest, and that builds, it ramps up, someone gets the advantage, the other person fights back, and it, it feels like a contest. This never felt like... It felt like they were going through motions, going through spots. They went did the comedy bit first, and then Champa went serious, and he beat up Haskins a bit. It never felt natural, I think. it just, It felt like... They went through phases, and like I think the phases were pretty good. Especially once it got serious, the action was very good. It was fast paced. It was hard hitting. It's what I like in my wrestling. But I just felt the way they got there and the way they laid it out really hurt that action. Um, I personally didn't have a huge problem with the uh, Champers dichotomy. Um, I think commentary really helped in that regard. They obviously you seeing it live, you didn't have that, but um, uh, on commentary they they really uh, put over the way that Champa wasn't 
taking Haskins seriously to begin with. He was, you know, he being in NXT, you know, part of WWE, he's going the more entertaining route uh, against Haskins' more serious um, demeanor. And then when 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 forced to snap by uh, Haskins' violence, uh, Champa did. Um, but at the same time, I didn't have the the degree of love for this match that a lot of people did. Um, there, there was a very interesting match structure, um, non non conventional for sure. Um, it 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 didn't feel to me like it quite flowed um, too brilliantly, um, but. I definitely enjoyed it more than you did, Ollie. Um, I, I'm kind of one of the few people who's kind of in the middle on this match. Most people kind of seem to really love it or think it was I, yeah, pretty good. I enjoyed it more on the second watch uh, when I was watching On Demand Progress. It's, the commentary added so much to this match. And yeah, <laughs> obviously I can't recommend you watch it live because that's impossible. But if you were there live and haven't seen it, on tape since and didn't really get it like me. I definitely recommend watching it back. It I thought it was definitely better and it came across better on video. Yeah, I mean, I I think obviously I wasn't there live, so I can't speak to how it came across in that sense. But uh, I mean, I think it did work, and I think the moment where Haskins kind of turned it on Champa and said, you know, I don't care where you've been, this is progress and this is wrestling and all that shit um, was really good. Um, I I thought the match told a very kind of complicated story through three kind of phases of Pro, of Champa being the entertainer and then being quite heelish and then the kind of turning around at the end and um, the, in itself I think it was good in a in a, a vacuum. I'm not. It felt maybe a little bit disconnected from Pro, from Champa's previous appearances and like how much he's put over progress is one of his favorite places to work. It felt like maybe it didn't really fit that. He would come in and work a WWE style in somewhere where A, he's worked before, and B, he's said is one of his favorite places to work. And then obviously he comes out and is, he's going to have another match uh, in November against Marty. Um, and you know you would assume that's probably the last time we're going to see him, but who knows? Uh, he's going to be around in progress for kind of the a couple of months, I guess, so, which is fun. Um, but yeah, the match itself I thought was fine. I just uh, my concern was it kind of fitting with what they kind of. Uh, what what Champ had put as his position in progress before, but I I thought the match itself was fine. I thought the bit the work that they did uh, was really good. The the stuff with the submissions and the uh, the 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 way the commentary put it over, as you said, that the match was close to having to be stopped was uh, was really good. I thought I th- I thought the match itself worked out very well in the end. Right. Um... Was that just before intermission? Yeah, I think it that was, was intermission. Champa covered a little promo. Where he said that he wouldn't be back, and then after this next match, he came out and they announced Skill versus Champa. So I'm I'm not entirely sure what Champa's status is with uh, the Fed, but we'll find that out over the next few months, I guess. Yeah. Um. So so next up was uh, Marty Skull taking on the the reigning uh, Natural Progression Series champion or uh, winner or whatever. Uh, Flash Morgan Webster, a guy I'm not particularly a fan of, but um, I thought I thought they did a Marty did a pretty good job here of um, leading Webster to a a solid match, a pretty decent match. Uh, th- there was nothing about this that really really grabbed me. Um, 
to make me me appreciate it any more than just saying yeah it was good um one thing that, that they they did make sure to do was um leading on from Skirl's full heel turn last show um here they really had him cheating about 45 million different ways uh really to cement hey i'm a heel now uh boo me uh don't cheer me anymore i'm cheating all the time yeah i thought and um I thought, in that way i think this served its purpose i thought they did a really good job uh getting over the skills new character because you know during his entrance people were still doing the one two whoop whoop which is the most infectious thing you can do at a wrestling show <laughs> and but by the end of the match no one was going to be cheering for him just the way he won was so unsatisfying it was very it was good unsatisfying in that it was just impossible to cheer for Skrull after that you couldn't be happy that he won you couldn't be happy how he won he cemented his new status very very well and the promo afterwards was a bit cheesy but i've again it was solid yeah. he hammered the points home but he needed to hammer home well I don't mind the use of Chris Travis uh, to get heel heat because obviously Travis would have passed it by him beforehand. And yeah, I just think this was a really good establishing match for Skull. They did what they needed to do. And Webster, he he did well in this match, but he almost felt like a spare part. He wasn't the focus at all. Skull, it was all about Skull and his new character. Yeah, I mean, I, I was... I, obviously, I, I'm, I'm, a good, I'm a big fan of Flash and I think... Uh, his match against uh, chapter seventeen against Gibson was uh, yeah an incredible magic. That Gibson was awesome. Made him look amazing, uh, and what Webster did was amazing. Uh, I'm thinking the uh, the somersault he did off the the ring post to the outside in that match was just one of the most impressive things I've seen in in a long time. Um, he has kind of just been floating around with his title shot in the background a little bit. Um, we don't really know when he's going to cash that in. Of course, he has until uh, next. Well, I guess he has a he has a year, right? So he doesn't have that long left. Yeah, you would think that. In, in, realistically, he has until January, but you would think, in storyline terms, he probably has until the next NPS final, which I think is. Uh, we're trying to think. So we'll have the two semi-finals on twenty-four and twenty-five, and then it'll be twenty-six. So it would be uh, February. We'll have the final. It's getting a little bit later every year. Um, so you'll have until then, who knows when he'll cash it in. But he was, I think he was the perfect person for this match because, I mean, very few people sell like Morgan Webster, right? And getting beaten up, he looks great getting beaten up, which is, um, I mean, if I was a wrestler, I'd hate to have that talent, um, because it just means you get beaten mm. up all the time, but he does, uh, he's also able to make, make heels look very good. Um, and he did that here with Marty and, and was the perfect opponent to push Marty forward in this, in this new role. You did mention the promo. I I really wasn't much of a fan of the post match promo, which which for me is a bit of a shock because I think in general that's usually one of Marty's strengths. But here he was talking about like he was like kind of half kayfabe. He's I was fine with the the Travis parts, but where he was talking about oh well that old gimmick was just a gimmick and now this is the real me because <laughs> in real life I'm a. It's like oh uh, well it it it. When they get into like that half kayfabe area, there it it never really clicks for me, and this 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 didn't work for me. I I can see that, and I, I definitely can. Uh, 
I, I can understand why that is a little bit of an issue and it's it's not something I'm personally fond fond of. As you say, the whole, well, you know, that wasn't real. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna openly say that isn't real because, you know, to suspension of disbelief and all that. But that wasn't real, but now this is real. Um is always difficult to follow, I think. Um but also just the stuff with Travis and I, I think he maybe could have played that up a little bit more potentially if but obviously I understand that's uncomfortable. Um for him obviously and for for a lot of other people um but i i, I think this promo served its purpose and we got to uh champa versus skrull which will be i assume the next stage of skrull's uh ascent to being a a formidable heel i would have preferred that yeah, match if cool. um champa had uh beaten haskins it seems odd to lose to haskins and then take skrull on i don't know that's just a nitpick i mean i think i i think it it's it's fine in the sense that Champa's not a progress regular. It's not like uh, he's really building towards anything. He's kind of just there, and obviously that was his, supposed to be his final match. And when they get the call to be able to use him uh, that one more time, it makes sense to put him in a, a high profile match because he does he is very talented and has a high profile even if he hasn't won uh, in progress apart from the match against uh, Big Demo. Yeah. Um... So moving on, we have the, the eight-man war um, with the origin uh, that going in, we didn't, going into this show, we didn't know who was uh, going to be a part of this uh, team. It was, we were sure it was Ligero, Crude, Gibson, and then I think most people expected there'd be one other guy added, although they never made, really made it that clear. They said um, whoever no. else the, joins the origin. They said it could be uh, could be as many people as possible. So I was thinking it was gonna, the finish was going to be there'd be a fifth guy come out, but no. <laughs> yes, he had Mastiff uh, joining here, working double duty, which kind of explains why his uh, the opening match of the night went so short, um, only about five minutes. As I said because he's working again um, in this uh, semi-main event. Uh, and they teamed against the Sumerian Death Squad and the London Riots, um, two of their top tag teams in progress. Um, and I didn't really like this match at all. Uh, going in, I really expected to, but this was just crowd brawling, which, you know, when you're not there live, it, it's never really that great. And um, yeah. even when you are there live, a lot of the time you can't see. They had the... Uh, <laughs> okay, I have like I have the live um review of that, I guess, in the ninety percent of it I didn't see and I'll get into the Rob the Rob Lynch thing in a minute, but I didn't see m- most of this match, at least when it was crowd brawling, but they did do the huge El Ligero getting thrown off the stage spot right in front of me. Yes, that was <laughs> that was awesome to just like, literally, there was one person between me and Ligero and everyone else, and so that was just crazy, being that close to such, like, a crazy bump. El Ligero is a, clearly a madman to take these kind of bumps on a regular basis on every show now, because <laughs> he took the crazy bump on Chapter 21 as well into the chairs. Um, so that really got me into the match, and, like, chanting and being like throwing back to uh, 90s in the ECW arena. <laughs> this was my ECW arena moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can see why people don't like the crowd brawling, and I can understand that it's a style which doesn't, uh, which some people don't like and some people maybe don't appreciate. Um, I personally think it's 
a good aspect and I think it maybe has been a little bit overused in, re in recent shows but I, I think this was a good match I really enjoyed it I thought it was a good eight man brawl it wasn't quite on the level of the the chapter 15 eight man brawl which I think is as I said one maybe perhaps the top yeah. five progress match of all time uh, obviously it wasn't I don't think close to that but it was no. very good in, in that everyone kind of beat the shit out of each other and you had the big spot uh, with uh, El Ligaro being thrown off the top. I liked them isolating the guys in the in the ring with the four on one in, in, on both sides. Um, yeah. And hitting a lot of moves. But there wasn't a lot of wrestling in this match, really. It was just uh, a brawl in many ways. Um, it felt like uh, what could have been potentially a blow-off was more of a, a setup for, for later things. When you earmark a match as the car crash match of the show, I think that's okay. And I don't think anyone entered this match expecting a straight 4-on-4, four four, nice clean tag team rules. I think everyone expected this to be a lot of crowd brawling. And so I didn't mind that. Um, and I, yeah, like you say, I liked the when they actually did move into the ring. I liked the way the teams worked together very naturally. The Origin work really well together it seems and they feel like a dragon gate stable almost in the way that their moves like interact with each other i liked the bits where they were all running into the corner on one guy hitting their own like unique uh strike move both teams did that i think and that was very pleasing to see as a guy who likes dragon gate a lot um the one thing that really took this match down for me though was the rob lynch spot which played off of the history with last month i believe it was at an endeavor show where he had like a scary injury um like he landed hard on his neck in a tag team match against sweet jesus and they had to essentially stop the show for a good 10 15 minutes and take him to hospital and he could have been very seriously injured luckily uh, it didn't turn out that way but it was a big scare and they used that same imagery in this match like he gets dropped on his neck and like all the, all the progress staff, the Projo pro trainees, like, rushed into the ring and were act it was played completely straight. And another, like, half kayfabe thing that wasn't very satisfying because, like, everyone's moving out of the way, everyone's scared. It seems like something legit bad has happened. And that takes you out of the match completely because suddenly you're not worrying about uh, the match, you're worried about the man. And... So for a good two or three minutes, he's being taken backstage and it looks like everyone's just trying to work around like a legit injury. And then, of course, he does like the Hulk up spot and tosses Ligero off. And oh, God, <laughs> I've done the jerk edge off the ladder thing. <laughs> uh, he tossed uh, Ligero off the stage and obviously it's revealed to be a work, but it just took me out of the match completely. Obviously, uh, throwing him off the stage right in front of me made me feel a lot better about that, but it really hurt the early portion of the match um, to have Lynch do this, and I thought it was a misjudgment, to be fair. I think this sort, of really... sort of angle is fine if you do it sparingly. I think uh, you're right that you, you can argue about the taste of doing it on someone who has been in, a, in the same legitimate situation. I don't think it's that bad. Um I have seen similar angles like this before, and you're right that it does, in some ways, take you out of it. I think it's fine as long as it's short as well. Like if you do what they did, which is uh, have it look like he's going to come out and then take him out, and then you do the uh, it went a little bit, maybe a little bit too long for me. I would have liked it a little bit shorter, but I have seen like 
you know in, in like a long rumble for example i've seen one of these angles work for like yeah. 20 minutes where the guy is then taken out and comes back right at the end for example um but the whole time he's back there you're thinking god i hope he's okay is he is he on the way to hospital or whatever the fact that he like didn't go back and then to go backstage and then come back yeah helped that the fact that he was just back then uh, and also with commentary that was clear but it was a work because commentary didn't like immediately go silent like they played up that that was what was happening so yeah. if you if you're watching this first time on demand then yeah there's no scare for that but for the live interaction yeah i thought it was legit like there was no reason for me to think it wasn't legit and it, i just think that that's a boy who cried wolf situation like if you s- turn half kayfabe on with these injuries then something bad could end up happening where people think that oh they're just doing a work and then it turns out to actually be a proper injury and people aren't as alert for it i don't know it it wasn't my cup of tea at all i didn't really have a problem with it from a um a case standpoint as you said it probably helps that i was watching it on demand and i knew in reality he wasn't getting injured but just in general i'm never really a fan of these Oh, this guy's injured. He's being taken to the back. Oh, he's back. He's back in the match. Mm. Uh, it, it never really clicks for me. No. You know I mean? Once you've seen it once, you, you've seen it. You've seen it enough. And, I just um, felt it was unnecessary as well because it 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 was an accident essentially. Like it was being portrayed as an accident. The origin didn't target his neck or anything. They didn't. It wasn't supposed to get them over as brutal heels. And it, it really didn't serve the match in any way other than to get him onto the stage to throw Leguero off of it, and they could have done that just by no, brawling. Uh, I, I definitely agree. It didn't really add anything to the match. So, you know, if you're going to do that, why why have it have it in there? Um, they could have easily... I mean, they were brawling all around the arena anyway. Why not have um, them brawl up onto the stage? But um, as you kind of said, um, this match was... Going in, you weren't expecting a lot of wrestling... And uh, that, that's what you got. So you can't can't complain too much. Wasn't a big fan of it. But um, one thing I did want to mention. Was it just me or did the finish make no sense at all? Uh, the finish was a botch, I think. It, obviously, the dynamic was that SDS and the Riots were supposed to be uh, <laughs> arguing and not getting along as a team. Whereas the Origin were a well-oiled unit and that's why they won. But... It was just it was very awkward to see sort of I think End was trying to like get Dante to turn around and like he saw Mastiff and still turned around anyway and to talk to the riots. And then why is Dave Mastiff, the big bastard, being the sneak attack roll up man? That should have been Ligero, I feel, just to make that make sense. Because they would have heard Mastiff coming up behind him, and if they hadn't already seen him, <laughs> it, it yeah, it didn't work at all. And like obviously, again, it was supposed to be like a deliberately unsatisfying finish, but this was like genuinely unsatisfying and didn't accomplish anything. Unlike the Skull one, where it was to get over his new character. I thought the the roll up itself was fine. I don't I don't have as much of a problem with that, but uh, yeah, I mean. I don't think uh, anyone would argue that that finish came off perfectly as they would have planned it. Um, I'd say in a, in a match like that, everything's very chaotic and mm. having everyone in the right spot at the right time is very difficult, even <laughs> with eight of the best workers in the country. And 
it maybe didn't quite work out as slickly as they would have planned. Um, but I, I don't know. I was much problem with the roll up, and I don't, th- I don't have a problem with Mastiff when he with a roll up. If anything, it makes him look resourceful and cunning, and and that's what you want from a heel, right? But I, I can, I can understand that. But I, yeah, I think it wasn't as good as it could have been, uh, as as slick as it could have been. But at the end of the day, I didn't think it was, it was that bad. And I, I think, uh, I think a lot of people maybe when you're looking at like star ratings, for example, I mean. Star ratings are, of course, completely subjective, but a three-star match is nothing, yeah. nothing to be sniffed I've, at. Three I stars thought, is good. I thought the action in this match was very good. I just feel that progress got in their own way with the booking on this one. Like, with both the Rob Lynch angle and the finish, like it just got in the way of the match being anything more than what it was. It could have been better... But like they they almost booked it into a corner where the guys only had like a few minutes of actual meaningful wrestling, and that wrestling was very good. It, I like I say it reminded me a lot of Dragon Gate and their big multi man matches, and that can like they're the best in the business at doing multi man matches. So that's a massive compliment from uh from me for Progress to emulate that sort of match. Um, and I thought the Death Squad looked fantastic here, apart from at the finish. Uh. Because they do so well with these like big heavy moves in quick succession, like that's what they do best. So I thought the match, while it was actually a match, played to everyone's strengths, but the booking got in the way of that. In in terms of the finish, it felt to me like they missed a section of the 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 finish because it. It kind of felt like there there was supposed to be a spot where uh, one of the London riots accidentally, you know, had a bit of misdirection with one of the SDS and like you maybe hit a clothesline on him when someone else ducks and then then you have that argument and even then that's that's not exactly my favourite finish of all time, you know, um, but um, at least then there'd be some impetus for the arguing. The arguing just seemed to happen out of nowhere with no real cause just because they got to that stage in the match and went, oh, we're at the finish, we need to do the argument part. <laughs> oh, well, uh, we've forgotten to do the... Um, <laughs> the where we hit each other by accident. But, um, yeah, it was it was fine, I guess. Uh, and it did set up a Sumerian Death Squad versus London Riot match at uh, some point down the line. I imagine maybe the, the, some combination of the origin will get a shot at the tag titles first after this but uh, at some point down the line they've definitely set up a London Riots versus Death Squad match and that is a match I'm really really looking forward to so uh, even if I wasn't a, a huge fan of the means the 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 ends they're going for um, no pun intended obviously with Tommy End but um, the ends they're going for are definitely something I'm looking forward to right Onto the main event, I guess. Um, Will Ospreay versus Paul Robinson for the Progress Championship. Um, I really enjoyed this match. I, I had this as my personal match of the night, and um, it, it was really a great chance for Paul Robinson to shine. Um, for a lot, of, for a, a lot of time while he was in the regression, he he played um, a great complementary character to um, Jimmy Havoc. Um, but in, in, in some ways he was kind of overshadowed, which is no real, um, that's not really a shocker, um, when you've got an amazing heel like, um, Jimmy Havoc, uh, in the same stable as you, it's going to be very hard to stand out, but, um, you saw here that 
how great Paul Robinson is on his own. Uh, he really showed a great viciousness to his, his side of work here. And um, again, similar to Haskins, performed, uh, not performed, um, was a great base for um, Osprey here, while at the same time being able to keep up um, in the early portions of the match in the high-flying department before really going in um, and for the latter portions of the match being a, a nasty, a vicious, um, you know, like a pit bull um, in terms of his offense. And um, it was a dynamic that really worked. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. Um, obviously, Robinson and Osprey know each other very well, and they played off of that history very well that they have as former Swords of Essex tag partners. Um, and... This match, it wasn't as good as the Haskins match, certainly, but it it wasn't trying to emulate that kind of standalone, amazing work rate match. It was more cerebral, it was more character-based, and it really got over that Robinson's dangerous character. Like, his character work in this match was tremendous, and it really drove forward the match. And I thought, this is almost like a Robinson match and not an Osprey match. Osprey, obviously, his moves were impressive, but he wasn't really the focus. It was almost like Robinson was the focus, and it was good to see a guy who, like you say, has been overshadowed in the Jimmy Havoc regression stable for so long to really get this main event chance to show who he is, what he can do with a match just by himself. Uh, I like. I really like the way that um, they kept Robinson strong here, um, especially with the finish. Um, it was kind of a, an out-of-nowhere um, flash pin. Um, and, and the door was definitely kept open for Robinson to eventually be involved with Osprey again in some form or fashion. Maybe like a multi-man for the title yeah. or something. I really liked the um, roll-up um, because it showed Osprey to be a bit vulnerable for the first time since he won the title. He, showed, he sort of showed that he wasn't all dominant. He couldn't beat Robinson at Osprey's game, so he had to just kind of roll him up. He had to take the easy way out rather than be able to emphatically 450, 630, whatever, emphatically hit that big top rope move and send the crowd home happy. It sort of it ended on a sour note for Osprey, and while he's still the champion, while he still got the victory, he didn't get the victory how he would have wanted it, and Robinson can live to fight another day on that one. And Osprey's definitely at his best when he's playing the underdog role. And this, this kind of helped reassert him yeah. um, in that sort of area, which is, is definitely a plus, I'd say. Um, the, the one thing, going back to we were talking about earlier, how um, Osprey, perhaps in some of these matches, is going a, a little overkill. I really don't like that it, he's added a Phoenix Splash as a mid-match nothing <laughs> kick-out spot. Uh, I've seen him do this, you know, fairly regularly this year now. It, it does seem to be like a, a staple of his uh, moveset at the moment, where uh, a Phoenix Splash should probably not be your, um, your you know, your equivalent of a, a Randy Orton's hanging DDT where you're, you're going to see it in every match and it's always going to get kicked out of and it's never going to win a match. I mean, a Phoenix Splash is a bit a bit bigger than um, that sort of move. Yeah. But, you know. 
Well, I thought Osprey no, had dialed sharing... Osprey dialed this dialed it down a little bit in this match. Like I say, it was yeah, more based around that, I... Robinson. Yeah. Other than that, um, I thought he he this was the overkill was far less of a complaint um, with this match compared to the Haskins match. Uh, even though I did prefer the Haskins match, um, but I, I thought I thought this was a very well worked match. Um, apart from that little bit, maybe that's me being overly grumpy. But you know, for me, a Phoenix Splash should be bigger. Uh, maybe that's just me. Uh, now that I'm sharing a, a podcast network with Jim Cornette, uh, he's rubbing <laughs> up on me. But uh, uh, what what can you do? What can you do? Um, 